please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
Father, we are in awe of you. You are the almighty God and creator of the universe. And yet you look into each of our lives and you love us so deeply. May we be ever open to all that you have to teach us, to speak into our hearts and our lives. Make us expectant as we wait for you. Amen.
see if this mic if this mic is working. It is. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Wes, for giving me just a couple minutes to talk about what's going on uh, at the college this year. Um, a couple years ago, in a small group meeting, because um, have, we have a small group that meets on Monday nights, and we were talking about uh, just the way that um, life in the community, but the connections. Whoa! Wow! That's that odd mixture of clumsy and very quick reflexes. Did you see that? Yeah. 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 Uh, Connections between the college and the community are different than they used to be. There used to be this kind of strong, informal connection where students were living in people's homes. And so the life of the college and the community really naturally overlapped. And some of that's different than it used to be. And uh, I really have a heart to help my, to have my office uh, in campus ministry be a place where a lot of those connections can still happen. So if you're looking for a way to connect with college students or uh, college students, if you're looking for a way to connect with the community, I hope it happens through campus ministry things. There are just a few things that I want to make you aware of, especially to invite you into that you might not know, hey, I can do this. Um, and some of them, of course, depend on schedules because I know that some of you are working during some of these things. But just to let you know, four big things especially. One, chapel. Students love seeing community people at chapel. It helps people to know that we're not just, uh, how do I put this? When you're an 18 to 22-year-old and you feel like the whole world is 18 to 22, it becomes deeply depressing after a while. And so <laughs> when you can see people at different stages of life, that really helps. And so if you're uh, free Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11.05, chapel meets, uh, don't just come for them, they'll come for you. I mean, there are good speakers uh, generally and uh, people that, uh, <laughs> we'll leave that alone, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the second thing, for those of you that may be early risers and may have a little time in the morning, every weekday morning from Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m., we have a 15-minute service of morning prayer. And it happens just in the basement of Wesley Chapel. Uh, there's a little prayer chapel down there. I don't know if you've been there, but it's just a uh, very quiet service. We sing a hymn. It's a chance for college students who don't know hymns to learn them, and college students who love hymns get to sing them. And uh, so we do that there, and then we read uh, scripture, and we pray for each other through the day. So if you are up at 730 and you want to join us in the basement of Wesley Chapel any weekday. Likewise, every day at 345 p.m., and I can, if you're interested in this, email me because we get different sites throughout the week. But every day at 345, we have communion, a 15 to 20-minute service of communion. And um, for me, this is really important. I love, uh, actually, when we were singing the song about let us become more aware of your presence and looking down at the sacramental presence of the Lord here at the table. Uh, for me, the communion table is a very natural way to meet Jesus. And, uh, but I don't want to do it in chapel all the time for lots of reasons. And so having a service set aside every day where people who want to experience the presence of God at the table can do that is very important. One final thing I'll put in front of you about that. I would invite bakers, if you're interested in baking bread for communion, I would love to have people from our town bake bread. It seems to me that would be a natural way for our college to, or for our church to kind of care for the community, that kind of role of nourishing. So if you're interested in doing that, we don't need big loaves of bread. I mean, we generally have about 15 or 20 students at the very most. But if you're interested in baking bread for communion ever, once a week, once a month, let me know. I'd love to have you there. Um, and I'd love to have, uh, have us care for the, the, the students that way. Uh, last thing, I just want to reiterate what you said about Clue. A good speaker, A.J. Swoboda. I told the students he's like me, except way cooler. It's not a lie. Uh, he's really, really good, and I think you'll really enjoy him next Sunday morning. And we just encourage you to come on out uh, throughout the times that he's here to speak. All right, I'll get off your stage. Let's worship together. I'd like to invite the ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us.
For a few moments, if those of you would like to uh, come and pray at the altar rail, I invite you to join me.
Gracious Father, we thank you for who you are in Christ. We thank you for the gift of Christ. Who has come to this world in human flesh, gone to the cross, risen from the grave and has promised to come back again. We come today and we worship you. We praise you for who you are and for all that you do in our lives and in this world. We come today, Father, with burdens that we lay before you. We pray for all who are grieving today. Think especially of family and friends of Bruce Brenneman. We pray that you will, will pour out your comforting presence upon all who feel the, the weight and the, the loss and the sorrow of his death. For others who are grieving, perhaps marking anniversaries of deaths, and all the other ways in which we face loss and pain in this world, we pray for your comforting presence. We pray, Father, for all struggling with health concerns, for Doris Esepian, Jill Tyson, for Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmeyer, and Luke Heisinger, for Wade Marsh, Sheldon Emerson, for Doug Bogdan, Barb Rangel, Bob Jobert, and Laurel Buecher, for Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey, and Phil Muker, for Mike Raybuck, and Bev Rett, and Micah Christensen, and Linda Roth, for Dick Gould, Emily Cricklock, and for others that are on our minds today, we ask for your healing grace in each of them. Father, we pray for our church, and, and as we are starting new ministries and starting ministries back again, we pray that you will put on our hearts a, a desire and an openness about how we might serve one another in the church. We pray that you will give to us a spirit of joy about serving. And we ask that you will help us as we, uh, as we form and shape Ministries that you can use to address the needs in each one of our lives and the lives of others. We pray, Father, not only for our church, but for area churches as well. And today we pray for the Rawson Baptist Church in Cuba and Pastor Holmes. Pour out your spirit upon this congregation. May they know your presence with them. May they be a, a place of hope and joy in their community and beyond. And Father, we pray for our world pray, Father, for those who are in places of the world sharing the gospel. We think especially, for, pray for John and Sylvia Christensen, their work in Indonesia and, and in the Kisar Island. We pray for health, we pray for a safe return, we pray for great long-term fruit from their ministry on this trip and from all the years prior to this. We think of our brothers and sisters around the world who face opposition and persecution for their faith and we think especially of those who are bringing Bibles into places where there are restrictions on people not only uh, reading the Word, but owning it and producing it. We pray for protection for those who are, who are bringing Scriptures to those who are desperately in need of them. We pray that you will work miraculously to put the Scriptures into the hands of more and more people. Lord, we think of the burdens and the concerns uh, of the world in general. For refugees who are fleeing Syria and other places, may your protection be upon them. For those who are grieving and, and struggling from the results of recent disasters and terrorist attacks, and I think especially the people in Italy in this, uh, with this earthquake and the devastation and death and suffering, we pray that you will bring comfort and healing. Let your church be a presence amidst uh, the needs there. 
We pray, Father, for a spirit of healing in all the places of conflict in our country and our world. And we pray for our area institutions. This week, as Houghton College and the Academy get started, we pray for a blessing upon both of these institutions, for faculty and administrators, for staff and for students. May, may both of these institutions sense your blessing in a miraculous way that this will be a wonderful year, not only of, of growing academically, but growing spiritually and sensing you at work in every person's life. Thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our scripture reading for this morning is Psalm 72. Following the scripture reading, children ages 2 through 5 are dismissed for Children's Church, which meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen 
and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please stand and join us as we sing. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee. We live in a world that's a mess. It doesn't take probably any um, argument to get you to come to the conclusion that the world is a mess. Define it however you want. There There are problems and difficulties and it feels like they're getting worse every day. And everyone 
has something in their mind about how we might change that. We all have, have things that we think, if that were different, the world would be much better. Or if that were different, the world would be a better place. I mean, in many ways, that summarizes uh, every political campaign. It doesn't matter who the candidates are. It doesn't matter what the campaign is. The bottom line of, of, every, of every program, of every proposition of a candidate is, if you elect me, I've got ideas that will make the world a better place. Our world right around us or the world at large. Because everyone sees all the problems in the world and we're thinking it needs to change. And God knows that too. The world in which we live is not God's original intent for his people. God is not God's created intent that the world will be a place of suffering and a place of pain and, and abuse and manipulation and greed and grasping for power and all the implications of those things. That is not the world that God created. And God is even more interested in the world being a better place than you and I could ever dream of being interested in. And in a sense, that's the underlying idea, I think, of Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is, is a psalm that speaks to us about what God's world can look like. The psalm doesn't really give us much of a context. It just says it's, it's a psalm of Solomon. There's a lot of speculation about the, the timing of it. But when I look at it, it seems to me that this is probably a psalm that Solomon would pray as he is beginning to, as he ascends the throne of Israel. And, and his prayer is this psalm. It reminds me a lot of Second Chronicles 7, where we have this long prayer of, of Solomon as he comes to take the throne. And this prayer of what he wants God to do in his life and through his reign and in the people. And this is a psalm that, that feels like that. And when we, we think of it that way, we may read a psalm like this and say, because it's all about the king, and think, it really doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, you think Israel might sing this psalm and say, that's great for the king. It doesn't have anything to do with us. But the reality is, the king sets the tone for how the people live and how they think. And so when you read through the Old Testament, you find that God doesn't just hold the king responsible for whether Israel is doing things right or wrong. All the people are held responsible as well. Because they are modeling what they see in the king. And the king sets the tone for what everyone else to do. And any word to the king about how to live for God's kingdom is just as much a word for God's people about how to live in God's kingdom. And so this is a word for you and me as much as it is a word for anyone. And Solomon starts out with this interesting prayer. He, he says, God, give me, give the king a love for your justice and righteousness. Give me a love for your justice and your righteousness. And then he goes on in verses 1 through 5 to talk about what that looks like. In verses 12 and 14, he talks about what that looks like. And he's talking about primarily how do we treat people in the world who are most vulnerable? How do we treat the people who have power? How do we treat people who don't have power? The people who have influence... How do we respond? How do we treat people who have little or no influence? 
What do we do about people that society tends to push to the margins? What do we do about people that are deemed insignificant, unimportant? How do we treat them? Because the reality is, in Solomon's world and in our world, people who are most vulnerable tend to be manipulated, taken advantage of, abused. They are often viewed as not just insignificant, but almost inhuman. That was the the, the means by which so many people in this country and other countries of mostly of Europe... How, we, how they justified the whole thing of slavery is they just didn't see people as really human. And that's what intrigues me about verse 14. Because in verse 14, he sort of summarizes this whole argument about loving God's justice and, and righteousness by saying the lives of people who are most vulnerable are precious to God. And that means the lives of people who are most vulnerable are precious to you and to me. And instead of looking at all the things that are wrong with their lives and all the ways that they might seem insignificant, we treat them as the most precious people in the world. Think about what you do with things that are precious to you. I mean, we lock up our homes. Maybe not so much in Houghton sometimes, but we lock up our homes generally because... The things that are inside our homes are precious to us. They're important to us. They're valuable to us. And and we would be heartbroken if those things were taken. It's not the sense of those people are are, are kind of precious in the sense that we talk about a little child is cute. But these are people who are important to us. And there, there are people, we think about maybe people around the world, but this is one of the reasons why we've been involved ourselves in this whole refugee movement. And this Matthew 8.20 initiative that, that talks about Jesus not having a place to lay his head. And there are hundreds of thousands of people in this world have no place to lay their head. They are displaced and homeless or living in refugee camps, which sometimes are worse than being homeless. And this is why we're doing this, because we care. We, we have a love for God's perspective of justice and righteousness. And sometimes it means that we, we need to talk about the people who are oppressing the most vulnerable. He says in verse 4, they crushes the oppressors. And sometimes watching over and, and feel, having a sense that these people are important and precious to us means stepping in and doing what we can to stop the oppression But even that we do, not in a sense of vengeance, but with the heart of God. With a heart of compassion and a heart of grace. I just read this morning that today marks the 53rd anniversary of the March on Washington. The day when Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech. And it made me think back to my heritage, perhaps your heritage, of, of... being very skeptical of the civil rights movement, of saying, well, we, you know, we're, we're, we don't really have anything to do with that. We don't like some of the positions they take. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we found all kinds of excuses as a lot of the church to remove ourselves from that movement to our shame. We ought to have been the people marching at the front of the line 
Because these are people who are precious to us. People we care about, that we would sacrifice for. And we would do what we can to end the oppression and the injustice. And I think sometimes our argument is, well, you know, we, we, want, to be, we want to be about the gospel. This is about the gospel. God it doesn't compartmentalize us. He doesn't say, well, I will redeem you spiritually and the rest of you, well, you figure that out. God is concerned about every part of our being. And quite frankly, it's pretty difficult for people to hear about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in their life spiritually when they are facing all of the things that come to them in this world. What I find interesting is that he, as he goes on to talk about what this kind of this love is, what he's really saying is, he begins his passage is, give me a love for justice and righteousness like God has. Fill my heart with that perspective. Give me a passion for the same kind of justice that God has. Jesus describes his ministry in Luke 4 as he coming to release captives, set prisoners free, to bring about the day of the Lord's favor. And he talks in verses 6 and 7 about being a presence of refreshing. That because of the king, it's like refreshing rain, spring rain on the freshly cut grass. The showers that make the grass grow. We've had a pretty dry summer here, but as it's been raining the last week or so, we've all watched brown turn to green. And there is something about the presence of the people of God who are so in tune to God, who have such a passion to love justice and righteousness like God does, that we become a presence that refreshes people rather than a presence that depletes people. We are a presence that causes people to feel lighter, not heavier. Sometimes we have that perspective and that presence. Sometimes we don't. And sometimes I think our argument is, well, you know, we're preaching the truth. We're speaking the truth. It's, it's about the righteousness of Christ. And, and a lot of people don't like to hear the truth. And so they're naturally going to not like us. And they're going to be antagonistic toward us. And our presence is not going to be a positive influence on them. And we're totally, that's totally true. That is sometimes the case. But I keep coming back in my own mind to the argument of a couple of things. One is, am I preaching the truth that wants God's love of justice and righteousness and the presence of God in people's lives? Or am I more interested in just getting people convinced about my agenda? Is it about me? Or is it about them? Is it about... And, and, and it, what's the attitude and the spirit in which... I am speaking the truth of God's righteousness. Is it out of anger or is it out of compassion? Is it because I want people to change and, and come to see not just not to my agenda, but to understand who God is? And sometimes that means the most important thing for us to do is to listen to people. To show them the same kind of respect for their thoughts and ideas and opinions that may be totally different from ours as we want them to show to us. And actually, as people of God's kingdom, our perspective is we show them respect even if they don't show us respect. 
It's one of the things that makes us God's people. When we enter a place, when we, are, when we spend time in a place, does, do people have a sense of being refreshed? I was reading recently how uh, in the Russian government for the last few years has been cracking down on NGOs there, so much so that uh, there are probably uh, only a third of the number of NGOs that were in Russia that used to be just a few years ago. And some of the former Soviet states are following suit, and they are also trying their best to, to remove people from foreign countries who are there, many of them religious organizations. But the, one of the exceptions to that is the Ukraine. And in the Ukraine, the president, in fact, just signed a bill asking, begging, giving total permission to churches to start private Christian schools. And one person who is aware of the situation made this statement. In the Ukraine, the church is the most trusted entity in this country. Wow. The church is the most trusted entity in this country. That's being a presence of refreshing. But let's think about it a little bit closer to home, because this is where we live. A week or so ago, Cindy and I were up in Buffalo. We were in, I think it was Tops, you know, grocery store market, and we were in line. Now, we have this theory that whatever line we get into, that's the line where they need a price check or the tape runs out of the machine or somebody forgot something, they got to run back. You know, there's, there's always a delay. In fact, we've come to the conclusion that it's because we're in the line that there is a delay. And so I also want to say to people behind me sometimes, you know what, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into here. You probably want to find some other place to be because we're going to be a while more than likely. But this is one of those days, there weren't that many people in the store, and we were moving up in line, and all of a sudden I heard a little bit of a commotion behind me, and I turned around, tried, you know, tried to do that subtly, and the cash register had malfunctioned as this woman's order was finishing. And they called in assistant managers and managers and some of the maintenance people, and they're all crowded around this cash register trying to figure out what's wrong, and all the while here's this woman standing there trying to finish her order. And the guy behind her was beginning to get upset. And he was speaking to his wife, but he was speaking to his wife in a way that he made sure everybody could hear him. Man, this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. I can't believe they're not opening up another lane. This is crazy. This is, this is terrible. I am so upset. This is wrong. What is wrong with this store? And he's going on and on and on. And of course, as, you know, loud enough that everyone could hear him. And as I'm listening to that, I'm thinking to myself, I feel sorry for this woman standing in front of him, and she's like, I don't know what to do. And I feel sorry for all the TOPS employees who were trying to figure it out. The one person I didn't feel sorry for was that guy who was complaining. And I thought to myself, man, what a jerk. And then the second thing came to me. How many times I've been that guy? Things don't go as fast as I want them to. There's a delay People aren't moving along. The people in front of us, they're having too long of a conversation. Whatever the case may be. And I sit there and grumble and complain. And sometimes vocally just like he is. And I walked out of that store saying, God, please help me not to be that guy anymore. I want to go to a store that I frequent. And people know me. And when they see me coming to check out, they are happy for me to come to their line. Not thinking, how can I go on a break right away right now? But what if it's even 
not just closer to home, it is home. Because the most important place for us to be a presence of refreshing, to create an atmosphere of refreshing, is in our homes. The people who know us the best, the people who see us at our worst, when our family members, our roommates, our colleagues, our neighbors, when people are around us, do we, in, get, do we create an atmosphere that refreshes the situation and people or depletes it? It's hard. I'm convinced it takes two, at least two things to be that kind of, to have that kind of atmosphere, to create that kind of atmosphere. It's two things that we ask from God. And one of them we ask for is patience. Because the, this atmosphere of refreshing takes time. The kingdom of God takes time. God is never in a hurry, even though we are. When you read the pages of Scripture, you start at Genesis and you go to the end. Genesis 1 and 2 are about how God designed creation and it is an awesome picture. And then in Genesis 3, it gets all messed up with sin. And the whole rest of the Scripture is God working out His salvation, His redemption, His restoration until we get to the end of Revelation and we see it. If it were me, I would have said, let's send Jesus in Genesis 4. Let's just do it now. But no. It's not till Matthew 1. And I don't know exactly why, but all I can see is the patience of God and, and the ability of God to, to do things at a, at a pace that's slower than we typically want it to be done. One of the great things about the 19th century revivalist movement is that it created a sense in us that God works miraculously and powerfully and he can transform lives even in a moment. But the negative side of that is that we have come to believe that everything God does should be done in a moment. And we want change to happen immediately. But God is much more interested in the process than he is necessarily getting us to the end immediately. Because it's in the process, as we talked last week, we learned how much we need God. We learned to to rely on God. We learned to trust God that patience calls for. Because we live in a world between, between the now and the not yet. And in between the now and the not yet, it takes a lot of patience and a lot of trust to be God's people. And we're not going to change the world overnight because God has chosen not to change the world overnight. He calls us to want to be agents of change and to be willing to be patient and to follow his timetable. And sometimes it feels like, what difference does it make how we act in the grocery store? It's just one little encounter because those are the moments that define whether we truly want to be people who are refreshing or not. It's in those small moments. But it also takes humility. It takes the humility of the cross. Humility of Christ. Christ is all about humility, about sacrifice. And humility in me is costly. Humility is taking a risk. We would much rather step in and say, okay, this is what it's going to be. And, and we would much rather say to the world, this is how it's going to be. And we're going to force this change on you because it's for your good. And yet Jesus comes and there's no forcing. There's no pushing 
there's a cross. And the thing I find as I think about it, humility doesn't start with Jesus. Humility is the nature and the character of God. I mean, how much humility does it take for God to create human beings and to want relationship with us? Think of the humility it takes for God, after we have sinned, to stick in there with us. And to choose someone like Abraham, who a great man of faith, has his struggles. To choose a murderer like Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. To choose Israel with all of their fallings, failings and faults. And to stick with them. And to think that the church could bear witness to him. How humbling it must be for God to be patient with us. As much as us to ever be patient with him. It is humility. It is, it's costly. And it's sacrificial. But it's the way of Christ. Lots of people in the world can care about justice. But only God's people can really love the kind of justice and righteousness that is at the heart of who God is. That wants more than just a change in life now, but wants to talk about change in life now in, in, the, in the parameters of an eternal kind of change. That wants people to be set free, not just from the, the bondage of injustice, but the bondage of sin. Only God's people can be agents of creating that kind of atmosphere. And as he says, it's an atmosphere that we create for all people. Eugene Peterson translates uh, verse um, 17 as, May the king want all people to be embraced in the circle of God's blessing. That's a powerful picture. Do we want all people to be embraced in the circle of God's blessing? Everyone may not choose it. Everyone may, some people may reject it. But it's not because we don't want it to happen. It's not because our heart has been so moved by the compassion of Christ and so changed by the compassion of Christ that we begin to see other people, those who accept him and those who reject him, the way he does. It really is simply having a heart of wanting to be like Jesus. One of his books, Andy Crouch, makes this provocative statement. He said, it was God's intent from the very beginning to fill this world with idols. It was God's intent from the very beginning to fill this world with idols, with images. Not images of wood and stone or gold and silver, but images of flesh and blood, of hands and feet, of eyes and mouths. I think that's why... The Ten Commandments have a prohibition against graven images, against creating images because God already created the image, human beings. Created in His image to bear witness to who He is. And that is our role as God's people. Not so much to, to strive and to work to do it, but to pray for God to give us a heart to want it. And as we come to this table, we come to this table praying what the end of this, end of this psalm that says, Amen, Amen, so be it, let it be. This is our prayer.
This is exactly what we want to happen. We, we cannot pray enough, we cannot want enough for God to create in us to be this kind of person who loves God's justice and righteousness, who nurtures an atmosphere of refreshing and flourishing in this world, who wants to be so filled with Christ's spirit that people actually see Christ in us. That's our prayer. I wonder how different the world would look if God's people began to pray that prayer every day Every day, every day. How different we would be, how different the world would be. We can't really change the world. But as agents of God's grace, we can create an atmosphere in which people want God's presence. So that as God changes us and changes them, this becomes a different world. It's our calling, it's our hope, it's our privilege. Let's embrace it. Holy Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done and what you've promised. And we thank you for the privilege of actually being agents of your grace and your change and your presence in this world. Father, as we come to this table, as we eat and drink, may this be our corporate amen about who you, we believe you are, who you say you are, and our prayer about who you want us to be. May your blessing rest upon the bread and the cup, that it will be food for our souls through the grace of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup, Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is the blood of my new covenant shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. You're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intention, which means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip into the cup, eat it, and then return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. And if you would like, I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. Just let me know as you come to the front, and I will serve you those. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe this is the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to God with a desire for God to fill you with His Spirit, that you might be His agent in this world. And come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Every